Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I'm turning over host duties to Brad Vonick. Brad is a MBA graduate from the University of Texas Macomb School of Business, as well as a former podcast guest multiple times. And he is a friend of the MBA Insider Podcast and huge supporter of MBAschool.com. Brad is going to be interviewing a friend of his, Fernando Gutierrez, who is a University of Chicago Booth MBA alum. I'm really excited because Brad is someone who has been such a great supporter of the podcast, and I've been dying to have him host a show. And in this episode, Brad's going to talk a little bit to Fernando about his journey uh, to an MBA booth and what he's been up to since graduating from business school. Here's the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Brad Vonick, and I'm a 2020 McCombs MBA grad, fortunate enough to stay in Austin. While my career is in marketing, today I'm thrilled to try and impersonate Al for a day. Keyword is try. I'm here with Fernando Gutierrez, Chilean living in Austin, Texas, and a 2017 grad from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Fernando is fresh in a new role as head of product for Jointly, and I'm eager to chat with him about all things business school, travel, startups, and probably his quickly growing puppy, Bruno. So we'll dive into it. Thanks for joining, Fernando. We always start the show with a warm-up question. So why don't you just tell me about your path to Booth and beyond and, and really how you've designed your career? Uh, first of all, Brad, thanks for inviting me to chat with you today. I guess I will start from college. I, I studied uh, industrial engineering with a major in computer science. So I did a lot of programming when I was just an undergrad. I thought I was going to get into that career path, a few projects and like 24-7 programming sessions made me think about that and changed my direction. So after I graduated from undergrad from college, I, I started my career as a management consultant in Latin America. I worked for a small company, boutique kind of very similar model to McKinsey, but focus on like mid-sized companies. And I did most of my career, professional career there. I worked there for seven plus years, different countries, different industries. It was really, really nice and, and fun experience. And as part of my career and the consulting firm, I, I did my MBA. I think you, the, the MBA was a combination of two things. One, like it was expected for me to continue growing the company to go do my MBA, right? I think I wanted to like strengthen some like skills and knowledge that I didn't get to study much in, in college. So that one, I would say is like professional kind of like academic desire of improving, but also I think it was just a matter of having a two year break from working, meeting new people, having fun and just enjoying life. I think that's one of my biggest like vision factors that led me to do the MBA and the MBA at Booth. I think I've always been interested in technology with my computer science background. And then I was like, maybe I want to transition into tech. And, and that's when I started like at the MBA, I started thinking about this, the entrepreneurship world, the tech world. And that's why like after two year 
two years post MBA, I decided to transition into tech. I first joined an artificial intelligence company here in Austin as an engagement manager. Then I moved to a consumer mobile app based in Spain as the head of product. And now I am the head of product at Jointly. And I guess I'm staying in product now for, for a bit. That's awesome. So backtracking just a little bit, you went to business school. Was that, did your employer sponsor you or was it at that company where an MBA really came on your radar? Yes. Yes, so exactly. Yeah. My company sponsored me. Yeah. I, I guess I, I learned about you know, MBAs as a consultant. I did do an exchange program as an undergrad. So I went to UCSD. I've always had the curiosity about like traveling and studying abroad and, de- and doing things, different countries. So yeah, I guess I'm not hundred percent sure when I started to think about the MBA, but probably it was because of the consulting uh, for, well, my, me wanting to go and live abroad was something that I've always wanted. And, and this was the perfect combination rather than something that aligns your professional interest with your like personal interest. Yeah, we both love travel, of course, and probably a great place to dive into a few questions. So you went to undergrad in Chile, and then, as you said, you were at UCSD. It was your first time living abroad, right? And I mean, San Diego is beautiful and it has great weather, but besides the obvious, why did you choose that city and, and the West Coast for an exchange program? I mean, to be honest, what else do you need than the obvious reasons, right? But it was destiny because like I didn't choose San Diego. Basically back in college, we started to talk about like doing an exchange program with my friends. Like we started to understand better what were our options. And one of the top options was the UC system, the University of California system. And so, yeah, we started to like understand better what was the life at the University of California, we learned that it was a really good university. And also we learned that California, it's beautiful. I, most of the campuses that they have are well-located. So we just decided that we wanted to go to California. I think it was me plus two other friends, the three of us uh, applied to UC. And basically they make you select your top three choices. And I think I just put San Diego, LA, and I think Santa Barbara, that's my, my three choices. And then, yeah, they just sent me to San Diego. Me and one of my good friends, we both went to San Diego and the third one uh, went to Santa Barbara. So it was fun. We got to, to experience the Santa Barbara lifestyle as well, which is pretty interesting, I have to say. Nice to be able to try a new city, but have a, a little bit of a buffer there, having another friend going through with you. It's also probably a good first taste of the taco life, the U.S. taco life, at least, before your time in Austin. You've traveled quite a bit. You've lived in a number of cities and countries. What's maybe one thing that those experiences have taught you about interacting with people, both beyond the workplace, but also within it? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. I think like traveling and <clears throat> meeting in all different cultures is like very, very special. You learn a lot and you grow a lot as, as an individual. I think 
the one thing like this has taught me, I guess, is like to appreciate the value that everyone kind of brings to the table, regardless of their back. And, and not just that, it's like, especially when they have a different background, different experiences, different culture. I think most of the time, I think we, we tend to like spend our time and talk and chat with like people that is pretty much the same as us, but having that experience of having to meet new people because you're in a city that you have never been before. Like you have to expose yourself to meet other people and you don't get to choose like where you meet, right? I mean, you can like, yeah, you can try and find the people that you want to be with, but like at the end of the day, it's like whatever you have in front and you have to make the best out of it. So I think to me, it's like appreciating that like the value of diversity and I guess getting that flexibility to be able to adapt different scenarios and like different ways of like work or like styles of, of, of people. So I would say summarize, I guess, personally, I think it's, I realize it's really nice to meet new people and understand and learn from what they bring that it's different from what you have. And in the workplace, I think the flexibility, right? Like I think. Even you could be the, from the same country, the same culture, but still have different like work styles and like different ways of doing uh, your job. And I think like this flexibility that I gained through like going to different cities and countries, I think made me flexible enough to adapt to, to multiple situations. I want to double click on that piece because I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of people just from a study abroad in college, a lot of people go and study abroad with, at least in the U.S., they go to a place, but it's with a bunch of Americans. It's very easy to just only spend your time with that group, the people are the ones speaking the same language. And then if we think about the workplace or even the MBA, we're really lucky for a lot of reasons, right? But when you think about joining an MBA program, Generally speaking, there are larger class sizes, and I moved to Austin not knowing anyone, but it's just a, a baked-in group of friends or a social group or however much you want to take advantage of it. So when you graduate, though, some people go to the big cities, and obviously geography of your MBA program has to do with that, but there's a lot of people who go to the city and they don't necessarily know anyone and especially with international students. So do you have any tips maybe for not just international, but any student post MBA who's going to a city where they don't know anyone to leave your comfort zone if that's not necessarily your personality? Yeah, I think even when you are at the MBA, I think that's when you should start like putting yourself out there and being uncomfortable, right? Because even if you're at the MBA, you should go like above and beyond to try to meet other people and not just the one that you're like easily connecting with, right? I, I guess to me, yeah, it's just, you just have to do it. You're going to realize that people is most of the time nice. And it's just that first like barrier, right? Like you have to break the ice and after that, that's, it's all good. I think to me, I, I learned, I was forced to just interact with random people when I was doing, when I was going backpacking through like different places and like over there, like it's either you talk to some random person that is just, that happens to be in front of you right now, or you're just alone. 
So I think the NBA is a very safe place because you're probably going to find people that is similar to you, that is on the same kind of path. They have similar interests. So you have that security, but like also go above and beyond to try to meet people that it's not necessarily like closely related to you. And, and that makes it easy because it doesn't work out. You still have your network of friends. So, so I think you just have to do it, go for it. And, and you're going to be surprised of like how many nice experiences you're going to have with this random person that you thought you were never going to meet. Then I became one of good friends for life. I love that because it's really demystifying this leap of faith, leaving your comfort zone because you do have that safety net and it's not, at least in the MBA program, it's not as big of a risk, right? To do a random coffee chat or to start talking to someone in a class or when you're out doing drinks or doing meals. So I think that's a a really good tip, regardless of how much of an introvert or extrovert you are. I think... As we shift a little bit from the travel to more, I guess, a few more product focused questions. So this one, it sounds like an interview question, but I do think it's extremely valuable to hear your perspective for all of the listeners on the show who are in the product world or who are aspiring to enter that space. So how do you think about taking a product to market? Can you tell me a little bit and, and the listeners a little bit about your thought process? I think there is two or three parts to this, right? Like the first one is, I guess it's related to, to the market, right? Like you really need to understand like who your target customer is, what are their pain points, their needs, and make sure that you have a problem in front of you that it's hard to solve and that somebody cares about it. Right? So I think the first component is like. Yeah, the market, like learn about who you're going to be serving and, and, and what really do they care about? The second component, I guess, is just now like translating what you learn from the market to, to a product. Right. And I think you have to start with the body proposition, right? Like I like these, like the body proposition canvas, which is a part of a business model canvas. Basically, you will have pain points and needs on one side and, and a specific target customer, and then you have your value proposition on the other side. You are basically, you need to tie those two together, right? Like, what is it that you're going to provide that it's going to be helpful for that target customer that has specific pain points that are relevant for them? So you have the value proposition, and then based on that, you have to store buildings set of features that are going to solve those needs that are going to make up that value proposition. And at the end, just at the end of the tip of the iceberg is, I guess, the user experience, right? Like the user experience, some people start with the user experience. Oh, look at this. This is a beautiful app or a beautiful product I'm going to build. And so they start from the top and then go try to figure out where to like fit this in. I think the actual product, whatever Regardless of being hardware or software, it, it has to be the last thing that you build. And then I think the third component, so we have market, we have product, and then I think marketing is really relevant. We sometimes forget that we don't speak the same language of our customers and, and it's not easy, right? Like it's not easy to understand how 
do they talk about this? It's not easy to understand. How do they want to like hear these things that we have to say? So I think pay attention to marketing is really relevant. You might have the best product with a very specific need, but if you're not able to communicate uh, how good your product is and how better, how much better your life is going to be if you use this product in a very compelling and synthetic way, I guess, it's going to be really hard to to make it a big thing, to, to get it there where where your customers are. So I guess I would start, I, I guess I would say you, you start from the market, translate it to a product, and then focus on on communicating what you have built. I promise for the listeners that I did not tell Fernando to make a plug for marketing, but maybe I'll, I'll pay you afterwards for that. I, I love what you said at the beginning. I mean, not the whole concept, but at the beginning, you talked about something that is hard to solve and also something that people care about because a lot of times with startups, with my startup experience and with a lot of others who are listening, there's the emphasis on something that people care about and solving a need, but not necessarily something that is hard to solve or maybe not easy to solve, right? Because that's how you help build a moat around your business. It makes your business or your idea stickier. And then the other piece that as well is just how underrated the communication piece is. I think about something that I've written before, which is this concept of the curse of knowledge where we can't unknow what yeah. we know. And it's hard to communicate to someone who doesn't have the same baseline level of knowledge because we make those assumptions. I think that that piece is spot on. So how, how have you been able to, at least in your new role, taken that blank slate approach and come in with that new perspective and how you're evaluating the value proposition now for jointly and maybe where you think it, it might need to go. And I guess maybe the backup, maybe just a brief overview for the listeners on, on what jointly is and then how the value prop is coming together in your eyes. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I guess, uh, well, jointly, it's a prop tech startup. Um, we help agents and their teams to complete a transaction from end to end. I like the real estate world and the transaction specifically like completing a transaction since the moment you found the house that you want to buy until the moment that you're like you closed it out and you're like you moved into the house or from the other perspective like the seller like from the moment that you decide to sell your house until you like give the keys out i think that has been left out for like some time basically real estate agents do transactions the same way they used to do them 10 years ago. They have, they, they actually have, has made some progress, but still it's pretty much the same. And we are trying to take this process and, and make it easier for all parties involved. And, and why is this problem? And I'm, I'm going to get to the, that you have to have a difficult problem to solve, right? Why is this problem so difficult? It's because you have many people like interacting here. So you have the seller, the listing agent, the buyer, the buyer agent, 
then you have the tile company, then you have the inspector, then you have the lawyer of the seller. So many people involved in this process and, and, and it's kind of a very fluid process. So we're trying to tackle this in a very collaborative way. Everyone gets involved. Everyone gets to do what they have to do at the same time if they want to. So like a non-line collaborative approach to, to helping agents, teams, their clients and other parties to, to collaborate and, and get this process over. So I guess to your question, I, mean, I, I joined this company and we'll already have uh, a product, right? It's on beta. So there are agents using our product right now. The first thing is I started to understand the market, right? I wanted to understand, and this was even before I joined the company, I wanted to understand, is this a big problem that we're trying to solve or not, right? Because that was a factor that I, I considered to, to um, find companies that I was interested in working for. So I guess the market component, like I understood it before I joined the company and then got to strengthen my, my knowledge. And I think the main thing to me was like, yeah, this is a hard problem to solve. And there are some people trying to do things, but not with the same approach that, that we have, which I think at the end of the day, respond to those pain points that all the parts involved go through. And then in terms of the value proposition, I would say it's not that I'm, I'm changing the value proposition, but I think my main thing, and I've been here for six weeks, but. I think my main learning and what I'm trying to push is that instead of forcing people to do things in the way we think they should be doing it, which I believe is the right way, but instead of forcing like our agents and all our parties to do transactions the way we think they should be doing it, we should not like, right? Like we shouldn't like reach the gap between where they are today and where we want them to be in the future. And I guess that's right now my main, my main focus is like, how do we bridge the gap between where the agents and everyone else is today to where we want them to be and, and just help them navigate the, the adoption of our product better. What was really good about what you said that that stood out to me the most at least is that with any startup you really have to evaluate the market before joining the company with big established companies you do your due diligence but there's not as much needed whereas startup is it sounds like a cool idea but that's one perspective as a consumer but you need to think about if I'm going to go into the startup world, there's a lot of pros, right? There's a lot of parts of the startup world that are a lot better than than the big companies, but there's also some risk if you're not calculated about it. So that's a really good perspective to think about, not just evaluating the market and and the steps that you've talked through a few minutes ago with a product, but also with a company and you can relate that to a lot of things too, relationships or where you're going to live or whatever it might be. So as someone who can barely afford rent in downtown Austin, at first I thought I wasn't going to be able to relate to the many parties that come into buying a home, but 
One, I took a negotiations class at grad school and we did a home buying case. So a little bit of exposure there, but also just as someone who works in the payments industry at Visa, especially in the the partnership marketing side, I, I talk to friends and as we've discussed before, it's I'm doing B to B to B marketing, working with a lot of different groups before you actually get to the end consumer. So any payments journey, when you add more people involved, it's, I mean, you, you're spot on. It just, it, it complicates things. And, and a lot of times that's necessary, but our job in product or marketing or sales is to, how do you simplify the complex? So I think that that was a pretty good comment. Yeah. You want to reduce complexity, simplify things. And yeah, at the end of the day, solve a problem that a consumer customer cannot solve by themselves, right? What's your favorite product that you own? You're a big My experience. You love to travel. You're a big experiences guy, but there's got to be some product that, that you love and not your car right now. Yeah. Let's not talk about my car right now. I guess I have two, two products. One, it's a new one and the other one is a bit older, but I'll start with the old one. I, I have a, a device called Upright Go, I think, or Pro, whatever it is, but it's basically a little device that you put on your back and like it tracks the position of, of your body, basically, if you're kind of being straight or not. Cause like I, I spend a lot of, a, a lot of time sitting on a chair, right? And like my back, it's. It's always being a pain in the ass for me. So I try to take care of it. And, and this little thing, it's basically forces me to, to adopt a good position while working. And, and it's really interesting is it's like a train and like kind of monitoring mode. So when you're training, if you slouch a little bit, it'll vibrate. So you know that you have to go back to your good, to your position. And then when you're on the actual monitoring mode, it like, it'll tell you how much time you spend slouching versus sitting in the right position. So I think it's just like a very tiny, very simple device, but it's really helpful, I think. And a lot of people might, I get it, might give it a good use, help their back uh, a little bit. And the other one, I think it's, it's just, I just got it like month or two ago, the Ray-Ban stories, basically it's, yeah, it's the sunglasses the Raven did in partnership with Facebook. And I am not a big fan of photos and videos, but having a camera built in into your sunglasses, uh, it, it was really cool. It was like kind of having a GoPro on your sunglasses and the perspective of the video or of the pictures, it's, it's really cool. It was like, it's as if you are going through that moment again, right? When it's the camera, like on your hand, it's like, it's not you looking at the object, right? Or whatever, like you're looking at, but with the glasses, it's literally like what you are going through, how you're moving. So it's like, when you play back a video that you recorded, it's like, Reliving that experience, so I think that was pretty cool. Yeah, those two, two products. I say I, my favorite at the moment. I feel like 
while the first one you brought up, the marketer in me is not thrilled that you couldn't remember the name, but but the idea is great. And while I, I mean, the name is upright, upright. That, that's the thing. But I forgot if it's upright go or upright pro, whatever, because they have changed it. But it's upright, right? And it's a pretty compelling name, right? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It also brings in a good point too. If you think about the brand strategy, is if they change the name, then there was a rebrand there, and I mean, you brought up Facebook and Meta, right? That's a very interesting position to be in as a large company going through a rebrand versus a small company going through a rebrand. And as someone in your household who works for that company, that it's I'm sure you get an interesting perspective on that. But I I think I I utilize my standing that's quite a bit, but I still have posture issues and lower back issues and. That's probably something I should look into. So, Al, we can talk offline, but that sounds like maybe a good sponsorship opportunity given the business-oriented audience for this podcast. So, obviously, want to be conscious of time here. I told the listeners I'd bring up your puppy, Bruno. So, here we go. Maybe first you start with the breed, and then tell me something similar about training a small puppy and working for a small company. Oh God. Okay. So the breed is a golden doodle. And what's similar about training a small puppy, his name is Bruno. And I guess the one thing, there are two things, I guess. One, both like Bruno and a small company, they both require a lot of time, right? The outcome is proportionally uh, related to like it's directly related to the number of hours that you put into it and the second thing i guess is that you ne- never know what the outcome is going to be right like sometimes you ask for the paw and he'll jump around and the same in the start third world right? you think you had the best feature and you're gonna put it out and nobody used it or, or like you just randomly pick the next feature and it's a hey you never know exactly what the outcome is going to be so i guess those two things. They both require a lot of thing, time, sorry, and you never know what the outcome is going to be. That was uh that was actually a better response than I expected. I know, I know where you're gonna go with that. I feel <laughs> like something that I've talked about with friends before is that a lot of MBAs, they come in, they get this experience, they do really well and most of the time go to bigger companies because there's the sexy brand name or the exit opportunities or a lot of times financial gain or financial upside. And I feel like there's a lot of value that an MBA can bring to a small company where they can make quite a big impact. And that's what a lot of people want coming out of business school. You've spent most of your career at smaller companies before, during, and after business school. Has that been by choice? And and if not, why do you think you've become or you've been so attracted to companies that are outside of the Fortune 500? I mean, definitely my my first job after college. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think it was all me like reflecting, do I want to work for a big or small company? I I think I just like found this one company that I really liked that happened to be small, right? But going through it and like 
talking to other friends that are, that have worked and are working in bigger companies. I think when you are part of a startup, right? Like what you do really matters, right? If, if you don't go to work one day that everyone feels that, right? Like everyone knows, oh, this person wasn't there. So we weren't able to get to B or we weren't able to like release C or we weren't able to uh, reach out to this partner or this person, whatever. So, I mean, I guess that's the beauty of working on a startup is that like you can, you really see the impact of your work, right? Of your doing. And also it gives you the chance to take, take more responsibility, I guess, right? Like nobody is going to tell you, oh, don't do that, right? Like everyone is super open and we need more hands all the time. So there's always something else that you can do. So I guess that works really well for someone that just wants to get out there, get some experience and, and really make an impact. So yeah, I guess. To your question, I didn't design my career like that, but along the way, I realized that this is the environment where I thrive and where I had fun, I guess. So, yeah. Well, I feel like another component to that is it's not just the impact and be able to see your impact, but there's also a lot of kind of that instant gratification, right? I remember when yeah. my twin brother and I finished college and I went and worked for media planning agency, working on the AT&T account, massive budget, massive everything. And you got to see a little bit of your work here or there, but my brother went and worked in sports television and I would be at dinner or out in a bar. And at age 23, I was seeing his highlights on TV. And, and there are very few big companies where you can get that sort of instant gratification at, at such a young age. So that's a really a good call out about the startup world. So yeah, yeah, totally. And sometimes you're never going to see it. Like even in the startup world, right? like everything you do might fail, like your company might fail, but, but you had, you had the responsibility to make those choices at like, yeah, you see where it takes you. You can see the whole thing either successful or not, but. You can get to see the whole, the whole path. Yep. And then all the learning that, that comes along the way, whether it's successful or not. Last question here before wrapping up today. So you've obviously been doing pretty well so far. What have been some of your guiding principles or values that have really helped you during the first few years post MBA? Yeah, I guess, I mean, not just after the MBA, but I guess always, I think, I think there's two principles, I guess. Um, the first one is having fun. I don't believe in having a work on life balance, like work, it's part of your life. And if you don't have fun working, you're not going to have fun on your life. So yeah, like don't think about being work on life balance. Think about how do I have fun working? And then the second thing is like always learning, right? Like I always want to learn more. I always want to grow. I always go to a position that it's going to allow me to grow, that it's going to allow me to grow. Sorry to learn. And uh, yeah, that's it. Have fun. Always learn. 
yeah, enjoy life. Love it. Thank you for the time and insights, Fernando. Really enjoyed the perspective and more importantly, had a ton of fun doing it. Hope everyone enjoyed this little guest appearance here and looking forward to listening to the next one. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.